Uh, well, my name is Mike Jude. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City Church. Like I said, we're so thankful that you're here with us at Scarlet City Church, where we believe we are people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. These uh, past week, uh, just last week, we started a sermon series entitled The Wilderness, where we look at how God brings us into the wilderness to teach us specific things. Last week, we looked about how we learn discernment in the wilderness. Next week, we're going to look at how in the wilderness we learn our limitations. And this morning, we're going to learn about how in the wilderness we learn how to depend on God. When I think about dependence, uh, I think about uh, being uh, sick in marriage Uh, Not sick of marriage, being sick in marriage. Uh, But maybe this is also just a time where you've had a roommate and you've become sick to the point that you are needy. Uh, Being needy is a very, uh, it's something. Uh, It's definitely a place that grows friendship uh, when somebody depends on you. Um, And also people come from different perspectives with being needy. Uh, My wife and I have the pleasure of meeting with a lot of couples before they get married, and this is almost always something that we bring up, is you will get to see the person's true character when they're really sick and they need to be taken care of. Now, uh, my wife, she's the type of person where she says, I'm just going to buckle down, I'm going to get it through, I don't need anybody. And I feel a tickle in my throat, and I'm like, baby, can you scratch my back? I just can't hide it. I just can't hide the fact that I am embarrassingly needy. Uh, I mean, I guess I could have hit it if I just didn't mention it right now. Uh, But there's these two different extremes of how we respond to uh, sickness. One is to say, I don't need anybody. I can keep pushing through. Vulnerability is terrifying, and I don't want to need anybody. And then this other extreme, the better extreme, I'm just joking, it's not better, is to say, I need you. Oh, my goodness, it feels so good to admit that I need you. I need to be taken care of. I just need it so desperately. And both of these feelings are often happening in our hearts at every moment of life. There's this pull to say, I shouldn't need anybody. There's this pull to say, I depend on myself and I take care of me. Then there's this other pull that says, I was designed to be cared for. It would feel so good to feel safe and secure and to be cared for. Both of those uh, intense feelings are present in our hearts in every moment of every day. So when we think about learning dependence on God, we can understand why it's so difficult We can understand why it's so hard because these two differing, uh, mutually exclusive feelings are pulling our hearts in different places. But I want us to open up our Bibles. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 16, uh, and you can grab a Bible in front of you. Uh, You can use your smartphone, or you can also just listen uh, if you enjoy that. Uh, There is a long passage in your bulletin, and I would love for you to read that in your own time but I'm just going to read a couple of verses. So firstly, I'm going to read Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read Exodus 16, 32 through 35. Um, This is uh, chapter 16, verse 1. When they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of Israelites came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their exodus from the land of Egypt. The entire company of Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we, were, uh, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with, hungry, with hunger. Excuse me. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather the amount for each day, so that I might test them. Will they walk in my law or not? On the sixth day they will prepare what they bring in, and will be twice as much as they gather every other day. And then we're going to skip down to verse 32, and I'm going to read through 35. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for generations to come, so that they may see the food I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out from the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put in it an omer full of manna, and place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the ark of the testimony for safekeeping. Now the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was inhabited. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this magnificent story. Thank you that we get to engage in this conversation. Uh, Thank you that we get to depend on you. And I pray that in this time, the Holy Spirit would help us be honest with ourselves, honest with you, as we consider what it looks like to be dependent on you for every moment of our lives. We pray all this in the name of your Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So looking at this great story, like I said, there's more verses that you could look into, but there's this one major theme that I want us to look at this morning. And that major theme is this. God brings us into the wilderness to learn complete dependence on him. God brings us into the wilderness to learn complete dependence on him. And we're going to look at three different ways that the Israelites learn to depend this morning. We'll look at three different ways the Israelites learned how to depend. First of all, we look in Exodus 16, uh, 2 through 3, where the Israelites are talking to Moses. It's been about a month since they left Egypt. They're out of food, they're hungry, they're tired, and they're frustrated. They're frustrated with Moses. And they said, man, it would have just been better to die in Egypt. It would have been better where the pots were full of meat and our, bull- our bellies were filled with bread. I wish that we were back in the land of Egypt. Now what this text, this specific verse isn't telling you is all the way back in Exodus 1, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he hated the Israelites. He hated them so much that he made work hard for them. He took out important ingredients that they needed to make straw. He abused them for his power, for his kingdom. He murdered their children. This is what they're saying. It would be better to go back here. We wish, rather than being in this wilderness, that we were back with Pharaoh being abused. The Israelites, they romanticized what they had in Egypt. They romanticized uh, the certainty. At least they knew what to expect. But now in the wilderness, there's no food. The God, Yahweh, has delivered them. He rescued them. And now he's just brought them out there to die, to starve to death. Now thinking about uh, of the Israelites in here, and I'm definitely prone to empathize with the Israelites more so. Uh, first of all, uh, people love to make fun of the Israelites because they're like, man, God parted the Red Sea. And it's like, yeah, but now they're in a desert with no food. Like this is a, a normal necessity of life is food. So did you just 
part the Red Sea just to bring us out here to starve? You know, I have started a ton of diets. Uh, I should start a blog about starting diets. I've never finished one, uh, but I would love to start one. Now, it's in starting the diet that we have all this resolve. You know, we feel like garbage. We've eaten bad food. We're like, man, I just, I want to be healthy. I want to feel good. We have all this resolve because the pain and the turmoil of, of being unhealthy is right in our faces. But then maybe two days later, three, maybe a couple hours if you're me, you start dreaming about that Reese's peanut butter cup. You think, man, the way that milk chocolate just melts when it hits your tongue. Something else, right? Man, the way the, the portion between peanut butter and chocolate, whew, it's good. And then Easter's coming up. Those eggs, that's the right portion. I can forget the pain and the discomfort of being unhealthy. I become so distant that I forget why I did this in the first place. And I can romanticize what life could be like living on Reese's peanut butter cups. This is where the Israelites are. They forget the pain. They forget how hard it was in Egypt. But it's not just that. It's also challenging them to live in God's certainty. It's challenging them to be dependent on God. There's this tension that we feel just like this desire to be cared for and this tension to take care of ourselves. We have resolve at the beginning, but we feel more comfortable being in control. And maybe you think, I'm in this group and I feel peer pressure to do things that I'm uncomfortable with, but you know, at least I belong to a group. Maybe you think my boss makes me work 80 hours a week, but at least I have uh, financial security. Maybe you think my significant other abuses me, but at least I feel loved sometimes. There's this tension that we feel when we can be in control. Being in the wilderness, God puts our addictions right in front of our face. When he strips those away from us, we see it more clearly. Now, the Israelites were thinking, you know, maybe Pharaoh takes the straw out of our brick-making process. Maybe he murders our sons when they're born, but at least we had pots full of meat. At least my belly was full of bread. What kind of a comparison is that? Being in the wilderness, we acknowledge our addictions. So this is what I want us to do with acknowledging our addictions is a lot of us feel this tension in our hearts. The first thing that we can do is be honest with ourselves in ways that we cope and medicate and self-soothe. To be completely, brutally honest with yourself. Maybe it's coming home and every day you need to sit in front of the TV and play a video game. Maybe it's Coming home and you just need one beer. Maybe it's just every week you need a certain amount of likes on your Facebook. We need to be honest with ourselves about where we're going. But then it's not even honesty with ourselves, there's also honesty with God. 
Something that's so amazing about the book of Exodus is we see this interaction between the Israelites and God's where the Israelites complain and God responds. Exodus 2, the Israelites were in slavery, they complained, and God, he heard. They're in the desert and they're hungry and the Israelites complained and God, he heard. They're thirsty and they're parched and they complain and they threaten to murder Moses and God heard. Honesty with God helps us acknowledge our addictions, helps us acknowledge, yes, that was terrible there, but at least they fed me. We bring that to God. The wilderness doesn't just help us acknowledge our addictions, it also helps us know God as a provider. Just acknowledging our addiction says, okay, I need this, and this was an unhealthy way to get it. Cool. We need to look somewhere to satisfy us. We need to look somewhere. Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 4 through 5, God is telling Moses how he's going to provide for his people. We're so hungry. We're so hungry. God doesn't say, okay, you're not hungry anymore. Or in uh, one of my favorite stories, uh, Lord of the Rings, he doesn't create llama's bread, which could fill a grown man's stomach with one small bite. Yeah, that's funny because the hobbits eat a bunch and they're still hungry. That's why that's funny. Believe me, it's hilarious. <laughs> no, he provides manna. He provides manna for them every single morning. He provides quails for them in the evening. God is providing for his people. Something that's really incredible with, about this is there's, uh, there's different uh, extreme camps of people who are trying to explain what's happening here. Uh, there's one side that says this is a completely scientific fact. Uh, there uh, are insects that are eating sap, and then they excrete this sweet, sugary, flaky, almost like baklava crust on the earth, and then the sun comes up and it melts it. So that's why. And the quails are flying, they're migrating, and they get so exhausted from the flight that they drop down, and you could literally just walk up and pick one up. I've tried with the geese, it doesn't work. So there's this explanation that happens still today. But then on the other side, there's people that say this is entirely a supernatural thing that's happening. That God is providing for his people. And like so many things in our faith, I would say, yes. <laughs> there is natural ways that God is providing for his people. The providence of when he brought his people to the wilderness coincided with the quail's migratory system. All right? And there's also some supernatural ways, one of which was that the Israelites had to gather just a certain amount of manna, and if they held it overnight, what would happen? That's right, it would become rotten, except on a Friday night. <laughs> then it would stay good. That is supernatural. Maybe the fact that it didn't matter how much each person gathered, it measured out to the same amount, one omer. And that it was just enough for each person for that day. You know, Pastor Jay preached a couple weeks ago uh, from the uh, Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. 
He talked about uh, needing to go to God every day. He didn't say, give us this month our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this year our daily bread. There's this tension to want to store and to take care of ourselves. But God creates a new system, a new way for the Israelites to think, a new way for the Israelites to depend on him every single day. You know, I think about uh, this natural way of providing for his people. I think about there's an anecdote that I'm sure many of you have heard. Um, There's a man who was shipwrecked and he was floating in the ocean and he was praying, God, please save me, please save me. And then somebody comes on a boat and says, hey, can I save you? And he says, no, no, I'm waiting for God. So many of us are like that. We're waiting only for the supernatural and we're not willing to embrace the ordinary, amazing providence of God and to recognize him as provider. So when we think about knowing God as a provider, this is not just knowing that he would provide, but actually acknowledging that he does provide for us. So a couple of things that I would ask for you to do is, first of all, there is a prayer by somebody named St. Ignatius. And St. Ignatius has this prayer that he does every day or that he created. And one of the aspects of the prayer is to pray for eyes to see. To pray for eyes to see. So I would ask you to do that. Ask you to consider every day. Ask to see where God is providing for you. Ask to see in what ways God has provided. Maybe for some of us we've left Egypt. And we haven't seen the manna. We've gone back. Maybe some of us have left Egypt. The bondage. The slavery. And we never complained to God. And said, I need to be taken care of. That's definitely me. I'm definitely the type of person to leave and to be thankful for the way that people help me and then continue to say, well, it's my job now to take care of me. That's my natural go-to with God. God, you saved me, but now it's my turn to keep me saved. (laughs) A lot of us operate that way. God has provided for us. Now I'm going to keep providing for myself. There's a need for daily dependence on God. But then it's not just asking for the eyes to see. It's also the discipline of being grateful. The discipline of acknowledging and acknowledging that God is the great provider. You know, having kids has been interesting because it's made me consider every single family rhythm that we have in our house. Um, Praying before a meal is an interesting thing uh, because... Our kids will ask, why do we pray before we eat? And it was a good question. I was like, because that's what my parents did. Uh, And you'll do it with your kids. Um, No, there's this genuine daily expression of gratitude that God is provider. Sure, it would be easy if we prayed and closed our eyes and opened our eyes and then the food was on the table. That'd be awesome. That'd be like hook. Robin Williams. Sorry, I'm sorry. But that's not the way it works. We make the food, we work, we buy the food, we cook the food, and then we put it on the table and then we thank God. Why is that? Because we are disciplined to express gratitude of acknowledging that God is the provider. 
So it's not just acknowledging our addictions. It's not just knowing God as provider. Now here comes the fun part. It's that we know that God is dependable. We know that God is dependable. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 32 through 35, Moses gives the people a command. He says, I want you to store the manna, and I want you to put it in a jar, and I want to display it for all generations. Which, you know, another supernatural thing, it doesn't rot. If you collect it on Wednesday, it would rot, but if you store it in a jar for all of eternity, it doesn't rot. But it wasn't just storing it as a symbol, as a sign. God gave the Israelites manna every single day for 40 years. Every single day for 40 years. Being in the wilderness helps us know that God is dependable. How? Because he's the only one we can depend on. He's the only place that we can turn. And it's not just he made us not hungry, and then 40 years later we forget. It's literally every day we remember that we are dependent beings, completely needy, looking to God. The Israelites kept the manna as a testimony of God's faithfulness, a testimony of God's providence, a testimony of his dependability. Now, thinking about this point, it is interesting because it's how do we grow to depend on God? Step one, depend on God. (laughs) Feels a little bit like a catch-22, right? Now, I'm trying to think of the best way. Excuse me one second. This is a stool, okay? Um, I've sat on this stool a couple times, and I know that it will hold me up. I know that it will support me. Uh, I've also seen Pastor Jacob uh, sit in this stool. You know, he has a hard time standing, and so he needs to sit when he preaches. So, yeah, dependable. Do I really know that it's dependable? Oh, I get to rest my tired legs of standing for 24 minutes. I know that this stool is dependable because I've sat on this stool. In the same way, we as believers, as children of God, want to stand at a distance, depend on ourselves and say, I know that God is dependable, but we still depend on us. There's a difference between intellectually knowing that God is provider and know that he is dependable versus actually living in a way that puts us in a needy, dependent state on God. We know that God is dependable. I've heard stories about people going to orphanages, how eerie it is. Um, A specific story of someone going to an orphanage in Eastern Europe and how Strange it was to see a bunch of babies in their cribs just completely silent because they don't cry, because they know nobody will come to them. Now, compare that to my children. For the first three years of their life, that's all they do is they cry. That's dramatic. They do more than that. But the thing is, is when they cry, they know that I will come. They started... As infants crying, 
And there's this relationship that me as their father has. When they cry, I go to them. And they learn over time, before they can speak, before they understand words, they know that when they cry, I will come. I don't know if I treat God that way. I don't know if it is culturally normative for people living in America to treat God that way, to cry to Him and depend on Him. The only way we can know God is dependable is to see if He is dependable. We can look at the stories. I can say, Pastor Jacob sat on the stool, so I know the stool is dependable. But I don't know personally that that stool is dependable. I don't know personally that I can cry to God. There's been times, there's been moments. That's part of why I love this part of the passage. Where Moses talks about having a testimony for generations to come. So thinking about how does this relate to our lives, what I would urge you to do is consider to create rhythms that remind you of the dependability of God. Create rhythms that remind you of who God is and how he's loved you. Think about telling stories normatively, regularly over the dinner table with friends over a coffee or a beer or during a commercial break. Think about keeping a journal where you continue to remind yourselves of the mercy and the dependability of God. Consider marking important events with pictures or tattoos, if you're into tattoos. There are so many great ways that we can consider how to remind ourselves that God is dependable. How to remind myself that this stool will hold me up. How to remind myself that I can rest and find peace in the dependability of God. Being in the wilderness, we come face to face with our addictions. Being in the wilderness, we look to God as provider. And being in the wilderness gives us time and opportunities to know God is dependent. He did this amazing thing. He provided this manna which literally means whatchamacallit. If the Israelites were French, they would call it je ne sais quoi, which sounds very pretentious. They had no idea what this was. It wasn't really bread, was it? It was something supernatural. It was something amazing, something that they couldn't even imagine. Jesus says this in John chapter uh, 6. Says, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never grow hungry. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. This is an amazing invitation. 
an amazing invitation. If you've lived for any amount of time, you'll have experienced the loneliness and the hunger of being in the wilderness. The being lost when you come face to face with your addictions. The not knowing who to turn to to provide for you. Not knowing who to depend on. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now we're in the season of Lent right now. Lent is uh, 40 days before Easter. It mimics Jesus' 40 days in the desert of temptation, which we're looking at. It measures Israel's uh, 40 years in the desert. The practice of Lent, it's not prescribed in the Bible, but it is a useful tool. A useful tool to help us engage in the wilderness. To come face to face with our addictions, to know God as provider. Maybe you're thinking, you know, Lent started 10 days ago. I'll do it next year. It's okay if you're doing it late. It's okay if you're getting on the, the wagon late. Our taking in this practice helps us to see these specific things about God and about ourselves. A unique season in the Christian faith. I would urge you to consider what does it look like to engage and enter into the wilderness Ask the question, what are the addictions that I'm turning to regularly and normatively? To ask the Holy Spirit to show you the manna that he's providing. Look to Christ as the ultimate bread of life.